Welcome to the EdTech Guru's audio experience. I am your host, Lena Marie Sale, the EdTech Guru. I first want to thank you for supporting our channel and following along as well as sharing with others. On this podcast, we break down the hard educational topics, prepare teachers for how to leave the classroom, support those who are feeling unsupported, and anything that has to do with ed tech. So tune in, turn it up, and let's get ready to disrupt education together. going to be mixing it up a bit and focusing on a new series. In this series, we will be breaking down the teacher transition process firsthand from teachers themselves. The teacher transition process can be challenging and tricky, but I wanted to give you a first look into what it looks like when you've made the transition. So we'll be hearing from teachers who've made the transition successfully throughout different roles in the post-classroom setting. We'll hear from their hardships, what the transition looked like, their stories, and everything in between. Nothing is off limits, so tune in, turn it up, and let's get ready to do this. Thank you guys so much for joining us for our third episode of the Teacher Transition Series. This week, I am joined by Paisley Landry. We formally worked together in our past lives in Colorado, and she made the transition out of the classroom. So we're going to get to hear from her story and the steps that she took and hear about all of the ins and outs of the teacher transition process. So Paisley, do you want to tell our audience a little bit about yourself and what made you decide to leave the classroom? Sure. Um, thank you, Lena, for having me today. I'm very excited to be a part of this series. So I guess my decision to leave the classroom boiled down to at my last school that I was working in, I noticed that there was just a lot of um, testing and I did primarily lower elementary. So I did kindergarten and first grade and second grade. And to me, to test those little babies was just so hard on me. And I remember spending all of my 30 minute block that they gave us the planning hour (laughs) um, in these uh, meetings and we would compare our data across all five of our first grade teachers. And to me, that just didn't feel fair to the first graders. And I remember specifically it being fluency checks. And the kids had to read a certain amount of words per minute, per six weeks. And as the year went on, my red just got more and more. And I sat there and I thought, you know, this, this doesn't determine if a, a person's successful. So I think that me sitting there thinking like, what else can I do with this passion that I have to, you know, teach others, but not in a sense that like, you know, make or break if they're not performing to a, a state step standard that they're not going to pass. And I really looked into um, roles that I could use my teaching degree with, which is a lot. And then I came across a bunch of postings on LinkedIn for instructional designers. And I noticed, you know, a lot of instructional design uses curriculum development. And as teachers, that's what we do. We design a bunch of curriculum. And so um, from there, I also noticed that they said, you know, bachelor's degree required, um, master's degree recommended. And so 
uh, <laughs> a master's degree recommended. And so I thought, well, maybe I should just go and get my master's and see what happens from there. Um, try to take that leap. And so um, I'm going to, I'm going to plug this one in there. Texas Tech has a great um, online school for that. It's, it's called Instructional Technology. It took me um, two years to complete one of those years, or I guess a year and a half of those, I had a an infant. So um, that just goes to show you that it, professors were great. They worked with my schedule. It's all online. So it's at your own pace. I think I had like one or two courses where we had to, you know, come together on like a Zoom meeting once a month or something just to kind of touch base. But it was a great program. And I got my master's in instructional design and technology. And um, it's funny because the original plan, as I mentioned, I had um, my infant, my son was born in December of 2018. And I had started my master's in June of 2018. So I had started, <laughs> you know, right before I had him and my, my plan was to go back to the classroom, but I took some time to really reflect. And I thought, you know, after I had him, I thought, I don't want to go back to the classroom. I want to focus on my master's and then I'll, I'll apply for some jobs. Me, I just can't sit and not do something. Not that being a mom wasn't something, but I can't just, I, I couldn't have this feeling that I wasn't contributing to the house, you know, like that I wasn't, that didn't have a job. And so one night I um, had a panic and I just started looking at all these LinkedIn positions positions that I originally looked at and just started applying. And I, you know, talked to some of my professors and they helped me build my resume because they helped me fluff it up, I guess. And that is how I landed my first job. So I landed my first job in um, August of 2019. So I had left the classroom for about five or six months and I started working at my first job. Yeah. So what I really enjoy about telling each of these transitional stories are so different. Some people just left the classroom and they network their way to a position. Um, some people had to take contract positions to get where they are. And your story is a little bit different in that you actually went back to school for your master's in instructional design. Do you feel like, and it sounds like your professors helped you with doing your resume and all of those types of things. Do you feel like getting that master's degree really helped better prepare you for the instructional design job market um, than it might have been if you just had take like a couple of part-time some like ad hoc online courses to kind of get you to that point? That's a really good question. Um, because I think at the time where I was instructional, because this is, you know, pre-COVID, I have seen since COVID instructional design positions have blown up. And there are things like you said, you know, kind of these courses that you can take to get your, you know, certificates and things like that. I think that for a person where we are now in our world, that you won't necessarily need to go the master's route if you're wanting to further your education. I think that, that is something to do. But when I started this, there the whole concept of doing things online and remotely was just like people gasped, like, no way we could do that. We could never make that work. And I remember even telling people like, yeah, I'm taking my classes like all online. And, you know, they kind of assumed it was one of those Kaplan University or Northwestern University or things like that. And then when I said it was Texas Tech, like they were just like, what? Like, that's that's crazy. You know, do you have to go to school up in Lubbock? And I was like, no, it's all online. I don't have to do anything. So even that was just like a little taboo. So I think that people, teachers that are looking to get out of the classroom and I tell my friends, cause I, I get approached by people quite often, you know, how did you do it? 
you know, what were the steps that you took? And if I mentioned my master's, I noticed that people were just kind of like cringe up and they're like, oh, I don't want to do that. I don't have time for that. I can't do that. And it's just like, well, you do, you know, you have time for anything that you want to set your mind to, but you don't necessarily have to go that route either. I actually was looking yesterday. I want to start pursuing my project management um, certification. And so I was looking and Google actually has some really good courses online that are at your own pace. I think it's like 40 dollars a month and you can take however long you need to complete the courses and they give you certifications and I think that those are also great ways just to kind of slap on the back of your name just to kind of show like hey I'm I'm willing to make improvements you know I'm willing to make leaps in my career I'm really to push myself and I'm I'm willing to learn a new role and a new position and I think that that's also what companies want too is like are you willing to learn and adapt to change because right now we're in just this in this huge society where we're just constantly changing, you know, I mean, in the two years since COVID has hit the amount of companies that have changed their mind, it's just, it's just mind blowing. And the way that we've done things is, is so different. So who knows what's going to happen in another two years. So um, I yeah, I was, I, I definitely suggest that people look into like, you know, quick certifications or things like that. I think that's, those are all really great suggestions. And I know that Google has been doing a lot of work to pursue that. And I think they just recently released like some of their analytics around it and how many people have been able to complete it and have said that that has helped lend them jobs. So I think, I think anywhere where you decide to take your certifications and like Paisley mentioned, when she did decide to make this transition. Even when I started at Code Monkey four years ago, working remote, people were like, oh, I can't believe you're going to do that. I can't believe you're going to work remote when the company is in Israel. I'm like, yeah, it's, it's fine. And so even now you're kind of seeing that transition. Um, Canva was strictly a workplace driven place to work. Everyone worked at the office and, and now they're transitioning to being more of a hybrid working model, that type of a thing. So it's interesting to see these shifts in the really big companies. And uh, Paisley and I met each other in Colorado, <laughs> taught at a school that was probably the most structured school I've ever been a part of, ever seen. Talk about testing every Friday. Seriously, just the craziest experience. Um, it taught me a lot. And then we reconnected in Austin where, you know, much liberal city, the learning styles are different, but we started to see this surgence of tech companies coming to Austin, these offices, and then COVID happened. And what happens? <laughs> these offices are half built and just sitting empty, waiting for people to attend to them. I think just the takeaway, what you said is that the workplace is constantly changing. And so you constantly have to change and you constantly need to upskill in order to keep up with what it is that the world demands of you. And that's something that is unique from teachers is we had to upskill, right? There wasn't a choice to do it. So I think that that skill and strategy lends itself well to where we are today. Now, when you did make the transition, um, you had originally thought about obviously probably going back to the school setting, um, but then you made a shift and you actually left the classroom. So what was your first role and how did you feel like that transition went? So my first role was actually, um, I felt the most comfortable staying in education in the education realm. So I worked for a company called TASBO, which is Texas Association of School Business Officials. It's Austin based. It has maybe 20 employees. I started as the instructional design coordinator for um, that position. It was me and one other girl and we had our C-level ahead of us. We have 
training courses for uh, payroll, HR, maintenance and operations. We create the manuals for it. And then um, me and the other girl, we made the on-demand e-learning courses so that people could take them at their own time, their own pace. You know, as long as they finished it within three months, they got a certification. And that was kind of like further continuing ed. So I had started working there maybe eight-ish months before COVID hit. I think that that was a huge adjustment for that company as well. So they had a lot of instructor-led um, in-person trainings. And so we just kind of, uh, on the back end, me and the other girl just kind of slowly at our own pace made these courses. And then we put them up on our website so that people who couldn't attend the in-person would like, oh, okay, I'll just do this one instead. And we didn't have a lot of courses out there. But then once COVID hit, you couldn't meet in person. And we were like, well, what are we going to do? What's going to happen? So concept of recording Zoom. So we had the instructor for eight hours in the day, get online and teach this course. And then we spent our time editing those courses and using those. So I think to circle back to your question, just kind of like, I felt most comfortable in the education world. Um, so yeah, um, I feel like the transition went really well. I think the thing that shocked me the most was again, just the company being only 20 people felt very small and um, kind of like a family in that sense. And I actually felt like I was a, treated like a professional, you know, it was kind of please. I remember the first time they said, you can make your own hours. And I was like, what do you, what do you mean I can make my own hours? And they're like, yeah, you know, as long as you're here for eight hours of the day, just come whenever works best for you and leave whatever works best for you. And being a teacher, I was like, well, I'm going to do the seven to three, come in at seven and be out by three. And nobody checks you. Nobody like scolds you. If you come in at seven 30, eight 30, whatever, just get your work done and be complete. And I think that that was the biggest kind of eye-opening experience to me too. I was like, I am being treated like an adult and, oh, I have a doctor's appointment. I remember when you did have a doctor's appointment as a teacher, you had to either take the whole day or take like, you know, four hours of PTO or something. But when I started that job and I said, you know, I have a doctor's appointment, like, oh, that's fine. Just go and then come back. Like no big deal. So I think that the transition to me is just, it helped me come out of my shell a little bit. And I felt like I was becoming a little bit more like an, an adult again, like just reborn into this world of like, oh, wow, like people value you and they value you as an employee and, you know, your work. I mean, I, and I, I'm not trying to like degrade the whole teaching world, but I just felt like I, there were times that I felt like I was just a warm body in the room. As you mentioned, our first school that we worked at, I just felt like I was the warm body in that room. You know, I was just a machine. They, you know, told me exactly what to do, exactly how to do it. I had no way of like coming out of that little box they created and it, it, it kind of wears on you a little bit after a while. So I think that making the transition into the corporate world was just really eye-opening, but I loved it. I loved the independence that I got and I loved that I had freedom. I think that's a common theme that we're seeing or that I'm seeing amongst this series is one, the fact that you feel like an adult and you feel like you could breathe. It's such an amazing experience to actually feel like you're being heard and not just what you're saying a warm body in the room and also just, just the freedom I think that you have and the energy that returns back to your body <laughs> when you become <laughs> not a teacher. It's like, Oh, I can actually work out after work or, Oh, I can make dinner for my family or, Oh, I can just, just like breathe. The thing about teaching is there are no breaks, right? Even when you have a break, there is no break. Like you're constantly on all day long, every day on the weekends, you're thinking about your kids, you dream about the things that you're not doing and 
you just can never meet the demands of what is actually required from you as a teacher, let alone all these extra stakes of testing, reducing students to data points, like all these things that like just don't make sense. So I think it's just interesting to see how everyone feels and how much better your mental health feels when you leave. It's so crazy that in every episode, every teacher who's made this transition has talked about how they feel like a person, um, have freedom and their mental health has just skyrocketed, (laughs) which is, which is actually in a sense, we never bash the teaching profession. We love it. That's why we stay in it, do the same types of roles that we do, but it's just something I personally feel like I don't know if I would ever go back. Yeah. Well, and it's funny that you say that because that's, you know, a conversation that um, my husband and I have quite often is, can you imagine being a teacher right now? Like, God bless them. I, I could not imagine the amount of stress they're under, the amount of anxiety they experience. I, I mean, there was already so much when I left in 2019, you know, three, four years ago, I cannot imagine. And I can't imagine not only on top of that, like as a teacher, like your role is not only to teach the children, but you're supposed to like kind of be there to comfort and guide the students. And yeah, you would have one or two problem students. And I say problem as and like they had, you know, a behavior problem or something. I can't imagine the amount of behavioral issues that teachers are experiencing in the classroom right now. And that, as you said, is just physically draining. And I remember coming home from teaching every day and like sitting in silence. And I didn't want to have a conversation. I couldn't have a conversation. I couldn't speak one more word. And now I just feel like I can have a conversation. I can, you know, talk and I'm not exhausted. Like you said, I'm just not physically exhausted. And I'm in a role now. So I have transitioned away from Tasbo. I took a leap of faith and I'm totally small fish in a big, big, big pond. I, um, I, I'm in the healthcare business now. So it's nothing that I'm used to. It's nothing that I'm fully comfortable with. I've been there for, you know, 10 months and I still feel like I'm constantly learning, but I get to work remotely. And that's, you know, the biggest thing is like, if I am feeling physically drained or I, you know, I'm just having a really hard time with the situation, I get to walk away and I get to go work out or I get to take my dog for a walk or I get to just, you know, take a coffee break and sit in silence and try to figure it out amongst myself. I didn't have that as a teacher. You were, you were, just go, 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 go from the moment you were there. And, um, I was, it's weird. I was actually thinking about this the other day. Like I used to eat lunch in my room and not because I was antisocial or I didn't want to be around anybody else, but because I needed that extra 25 minutes and I would scarf my food down in three minutes and then use the other 22 minutes to make copies or, you know, set up stations or something like that. And like, I think that that transition from when I did come to the teaching world into the normal world is I felt like I couldn't waste time. Like, oh, heaven forbid, I can't go. And like, if I went to the bathroom, like I went really super fast, but it was like, (laughs) after a while, (laughs) I was like, I don't have to go really fast. I can casually walk to the bathroom and, you know, I can go get a cup of coffee. And so, I mean, I think that, that, that has been really good for my, my overall being. Yeah. I also think it's important discussion. We're seeing now that school districts are trying to offer these bonus packages now and trying to increase the incentive for pay. And I look at it and I think about how it would have been teaching for almost 15 years at this point. And I look at the salary scale and it's, I mean, this in the nicest way, I don't know how else to say this. 
in the state of Texas, Colorado is a bit different. They do pay better in Colorado than they do here in Texas. Oh, it's really? almost laughable. They do. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> but it's almost laughable when I look at it. And I think to myself that these teachers that are transitioning, the average salary that teachers are making now when they transition is 60 to 80. And with that comes mental health, with that comes days off, the ability to use the bathroom and not have to get, you know, every single year when I would go back to school, I would always get a urinary tract infection, TMI, I'm sure for everybody, but I go to the doctor and they would always be like, oh, it's back to school time again for you. And it's like, yeah, it is. Cause I can't go to the bathroom and I can't drink water and I can't get coffee, but I also can't afford to buy coffee. Yes. Um, so there's just like those different capabilities, but when I look at it and I think about that, I would be in 14 years, 15 years with a master's degree and making less than these entry level positions that people are transitioning into. Mm -hmm. It makes me mad. Yeah. I don't know if you feel the same thing, but it makes me feel very upset with the amount of time and energy and things that they placed into it. And the truth is, this is going a bit off topic, but teaching world isn't necessarily about the financial incentive, but if you right. could financially incentivize teachers I think it would really change just the landscape. Like teacher, if teachers could afford to buy a cup of coffee, <laughs> you know, and just like feel okay about it. Or there were teachers I worked with and they, they were both teachers and their oven broke and they didn't have the money to buy an oven. So they bought like a fire pit or something. And they were like cooking with their family. They had four children. They're outside and they're just like doing that because they couldn't afford to buy a stove. Like to be in that sort of situation and knowing that our students are experiencing the same thing. We're basically poverty, same thing as they are. Unless you have a spouse that can, can carry a bit of the weight, which also makes you feel, I don't know. I'm sure you feel the same way, but like, I didn't like that. Like I couldn't, didn't really feel like a contributor. I just felt like I had make enough to just sort of yeah. cover things, but like not really contribute. And I think it's kind of refreshing a little yeah. bit, like as an adult to just be like, Oh, wow. Yeah. That, uh, <laughs> that's a great point that you bring up. Cause I think originally when I did start looking at my master's too, I did look at the pay raise and I was like, I'm only going to get a thousand dollars a year extra for my master's degree. Are you kidding me? I mean, my husband and I talk about this too. I got my master's degree, but in the nine months that I went from teaching to working at a normal job, my master's degree paid for itself because of just that, that big lump of a pay raise that I got. I mean, I, it was just amazing how just being in this different world you do. And then the pay raises itself too. Like they're like, oh, we're going to give you, you know, uh, X amount of percentage for the yearly, you know, and then we're going to give you the bonus. And then da, da, da. I'm like, are you kidding? Like I used to get like a $500 like pay raise in teaching world. And, you know, and that's ridiculous because $500 in this day and age doesn't get you anything. And it hurts my heart. Like, I mean, I'm sure everywhere they're all experiencing the inflation and stuff, but like, can you imagine trying to be a teacher right now in Austin and you're trying to buy your first home and you're getting priced out, you know, even homes in my neighborhood where I'm, you know, way suburb Austin are going for 800, 900, a million dollars. That's that blows my mind. And there's no way I would have been able to afford that if I had a teacher's salary. And it breaks my heart. And it breaks my heart too, because I know the hours that teachers put in. And I, I will be the first to say I was not one of those teachers. Like, I think I spent my first year 
getting there super early and staying till five, six, seven o'clock at night. And I was like, what is this getting me? I'm not getting paid any more than the person right next to me. I'm not like getting any other kind of incentives. No one's even really acknowledging the work that I am putting in. And it's kind of like they expect teachers to get there early and stay late, you know, like, oh, but you get the summers off. It's like, well, if you actually break down a teacher's contract and their, their pay raise, they are only getting paid for 10 months of work. So yeah, they get the two months off, but it's because they're not getting paid for it. They're not getting paid to hang out at home and, you know, get their well-needed R&R. It's not paid time off. So, I mean, it just, it really hurts me that like teachers do not get more respect in that sense too and that they are not incentivized which is why they want to leave the classroom because who wants to work 60 hours a week and not get paid for it and I know that the one thing is like oh you know we're in it for the outcome not the income well the income helps (laughs) the income buys your food and your gas and the roof over your head and your classroom supplies like the amount of money teachers spend on their own classrooms just like boggles my mind and every year every year they redo it and they have to buy more stuff and it's just like I mean I did my taxes one year on teachers pay teachers alone. I think I spent like $500 alone on teachers pay teachers. That's money that I didn't have as a teacher to spend. So yeah, I mean, it's just, it, yeah, that blows my mind for them. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think people always say like, oh, you know, why do you, why do you get so upset about like, you know, you get a master's degree. The, di- the difference is like in the regular business world, when you are able to get like a salary increase, it's by showing how much work you've been able to accomplish. There is no measurable metric for a teacher. Basically, you just step up and step over. So this same teacher next to you could not be doing anything. Yeah. Literally not doing anything, which I've seen. Or the teacher next to you is like teacher of the year and everybody in the same room are making the same amount of money and it just doesn't matter. And so that, so what happens is that I think the workplace starts to get nasty. It's a very supportive community, but it also can be very toxic at the Mm -hmm. same time in the sense, because how else do you get ahead? You don't get ahead by financial incentives. Mm -hmm. You just get ahead by sometimes if you're not in the principal's inner circle, then it can be really detrimental to you as a teacher. And that, and that can be really tricky, especially if you're innovating or you're doing something different. It be, it could just be like a, a sad place to be, I guess, in a sense. Since, since you've made the switch from, you know, staying in like the education space and now in the healthcare space, you mentioned that you're still learning. You're still trying to like, you know, learn all the ins and outs of, mm-hmm. of the healthcare space, which I'm sure is very, very tricky. How do you feel like the like general, like the process has been for you from transitioning from that, like more education space where you felt comfortable to this healthcare position? Do you feel like you've been supported? Has there been like any like upskilling opportunities for you? What types of things kind of come from that? That's a great question. So I think that because of the situation that I'm in where I'm remotely, I feel like it's not as much support as if I were to transition like into the office. So I, when I've made my first transition from the classroom into TASBO, we were in the office. So if I had a question to this person or anybody that walked by, can you show me this? Can you teach me this? And when you're working remotely, you don't really know what everybody's up to and how they're, you know, what they're working on at the moment. So I don't want to be a bother and on my team that I'm on right now, again, there's only two instructional designers. So it's me and the other girl. We just have teams. 
So it's like, hey, can you jump on a call real fast? Or, hey, can you do this? But everybody is also at this point where they're so screen fatigued. They're tired of being on calls. They're tired of being on the screen that like, I almost feel like I'm annoying them by asking for help. So that's kind of something that I've had to deal with too. I think that that just that transition in itself too. I think the transition from working in an office to working fully remote was harder than leaving the classroom and coming to the corporate world because I felt super supported when I was in a company, but now that I'm I'm in a larger company and don't get me wrong, both my director is amazing and my VP is amazing, but I just don't get to interact with them on a daily basis, you know? And so I do feel a little lost sometimes in that sense. And I feel like that that's been harder too. And I think that that's why I don't feel confident in this job. And it's easy for me to like, want to go back on LinkedIn and look up companies that are education related because I felt more comfortable in there, but I'm not going to grow as a human. If I'm doing things that I'm comfortable with my whole life, you know, the only way I'm going to get better at my job is if I get comfortable with being uncomfortable. So I, I need to just stick it out. I need to do hard things. I can do hard things. And that's something I tell my three-year-old son, you can do hard things. So, I mean, it's hard, but it's rewarding in a sense too, especially when you power down for the day and you're like, oh, good. I figured that out. I got that day done. You know, I I feel good about that day. so. So we've talked a lot about the process, how we feel like we've, you know, how life has been post transition. Do you have any last tips or takeaways for a teacher who is looking to transition? First of all, I, I mean, I tell my friends, I think instructional design is probably the easiest one to get into, but I guess I would say like, go for it. You don't really realize how many skills you have as a teacher and how you can fluff up those skills and like use them for your next role. And, you know, teachers do a lot throughout the day and they have a lot, a huge skill set. You're designing curriculums, you're doing lesson plans, you're project managing, you are, I mean, you just got to word it in a way that like, it's the job description. And I think that any teacher that's out there, just, you know, if you're dragging your feet, just jump, just make the jump and do it. Don't drag your feet. And and I'm not, I don't want to like encourage all the teachers just like throw up their hands and quit (laughs) because I don't want a bunch of school districts mad at me. But if you're not happy, I'm 100% someone who feels like if you're not happy, you need to make a change and you need to be happy because you literally only have this one life to live. And I think that anything can happen. You could, something could happen that you could die tomorrow. So like, you know, do you want to look back on your life and be like, oh man, you know, I'm really glad that I stuck it through those 60 years of teaching so that I could like really impact all those lives. Or, I mean, do you want to do something that's going to impact your life? That's going to make you a better human being, you know, you can impact more people if you're a better human being. So I think that if, you know, there are people out there who are truly not happy in that education world, then, then you should really try to make those changes and utilize LinkedIn. Like it's amazing how many people told me to use LinkedIn. And even when I was a teacher, I was like, I don't need this. Like, first of all, I'm scared that if I see another school sees me applying for their jobs that like, you know, they'll, they'll talk, but that's another thing that was different in the professional world. I remember I, I went from one school to another in the same city and, you know, lo and behold, the principals were best friends. So they called each other to talk about it. And I hadn't let, you know, my principal I was currently with know 
know that I was searching for other jobs. So when she called me into their office to talk to them about it, like that was, that was really scary for me. I thought I was going to get fired and not even get the other job too. And here in the corporate world, like you put in a job application, no one knows. They don't care. They don't call your references. They might ask you for references here or there, but like, they're not going to know. So I just, I think that LinkedIn is something that you can go out there and you can see what kind of skill sets need to be done and think about how you can utilize the skill sets you have as a teacher to make that change. But kind of circling back to it, I just really think that if you're not happy in the classroom and you're not happy where things are going, you need to focus on yourself and you need to make yourself happier. Because if you're not happy either and you're in the classroom, you're not doing those kids any good. I know that for a fact, there were days that I I, I did not want to be there and I know my kids could sense it. And we live in a society that says, you know, oh, kids are resilient. Kids are resilient. It's fine. We can do what whatever, you know, they'll, they'll bounce back, but they really don't. Because when you think about it, we're in our thirties and I think about the trauma and how it's affected me as an adult. So I think it just kind of downward spirals. I think that's a great takeaway. And something we're seeing from every episode of this series is that if you're in the gray area, you've already made the decision. It's just, you need to make sure that you're lifting yourself up. So network, join LinkedIn, join groups, anywhere that you can basically take to, to make that next step. And I think that anywhere that feels comfortable for you is where you should find yourself. You know, instructional design may not be your thing, but you get to design content, design e-learning courses, share your experience with others. So I think just do what makes you feel comfortable. And there's always going to be, haters are always going to hate, right? Like that's always (laughs) going to be a thing. So you'll be amazed how many people will actually stand in your corner and support you and and find people that, that maybe you never know, but you never know what's out there if you don't, as Paisley said, get comfortable with being uncomfortable because that's really what life is about. So I hope that you took a lot from this episode. We are so thankful that Paisley joined us today. You can always connect with her on LinkedIn. Those details will be in the show notes and we'll see you guys next time. Bye everybody. Bye. Thank you so much. You've made it this far. I appreciate all of your support. Please don't forget to like, share, subscribe, throw the comments below in the comment section. I'm always looking for new ideas and hot trends, or if you're looking to sponsor our podcast and video episodes, reach out to us on any of our social media channels, and you can even find us anywhere you find your podcasts. Once again, my name's Lena Marie Saleh, the EdTech Guru, and we'll see you guys next time. Bye, everybody.